This is Vintage Broadcasting. The following is a study through the book of Philippians. My name is Frank Goss. I hope this study proves beneficial to you in the days to come. I thank you very much. In every way, whether in pretense or truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and hope that I will not be put to shame in anything, but that with all boldness, Christ will even now, as always, be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. Disappointment start at an early age. A father can't make a ball game. The four-year-old son notices that. Or the daughter's recital after she had studied so hard. It's all wiped away with an excuse. It was work, or my boss, or traffic. But it really doesn't matter what the issue was that caused this. The child was disappointed. And those disappointments are not quickly forgotten. Bobby grew up with a weight problem, and other kids made fun of him. He was their target. He hated going to school, knowing that it meant another day of ridicule. He was always overlooked by others, and never picked for any team, and he always felt inferior, second class, worthless, and disliked. Then there's disappointment in a love relationship. It goes sour. The guy drops the girl for somebody else. He has an affair. Oh, she weeps for days. And she is heartbroken, so disappointed. A marriage falls apart. A wayward child provides the deepest wounds a mother can ever know. There's a layoff at work, and financial pressures begin to accumulate. You lose your job when you thought you were going to get a promotion. You're shocked. One man wrote, When I consider life, it always seems to cheat. I'm lifted up by hopes and then beaten down by deceit. I keep thinking tomorrow will be a better day, and then I discover I've just been a fool for ever thinking that way. What a terrible way to think. But when we consider our lives, we cannot help but see that humanity is stained by disappointment. When we trust in men, when we rely on men and put our confidence in their means and their methods, things really get confusing, and we experience disappointment. Now, how's that for a negative and a pessimistic outlook? I know I sound like Eeyore, Pooh Bear's friend, but even as I write these words, I note that my mind directs me to particular paths that I've known in the past. And if I allow it, I'll follow diligently where my thoughts lead me. I'm prone to do that, you know. Melancholy is an awful, awful emotion. This is when it's necessary for me to lift up my eyes to the hill. I don't look for men or events to come rushing over the horizon to save me from all these melancholy blues. You know why? Because nobody's going to come. David asked, I lift up my eyes unto the hills. From where will my help come? And he was quite familiar with the melancholy, and he knew how to escape its grip. He knew the right place to look. He controlled his mind, and he told his mind what to think. Immediately, he said, hold it, wait. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Paul was writing from a prison cell here in Philippians, and he was chained to a praetorian guard. His food, it was prison food. It was not like mama would make. Did he have the right to melancholy? Well, we would all agree that, yes, if anyone had the right to sadness, it was Paul. But there we go, thinking like mere men, again, relying on their ways and means and methods. 
If Paul had the right to stew in the blues, we must give the same allowance to King David. He had every right to dwell in the mental dungeons of despair as well. Then Joseph, Daniel, Jeremiah, Jacob, James, Peter, and Christian from every land all have the same opportunity. We are a persecuted lot. We are not respected, we are mocked, and our faith is considered to be hateful and demeaning. We have a horrible view of humanity. People don't like us or the message that we bring. We have the right to our personal pity parties, though, don't we? Well, we do. And if you choose to think that way, the clouds will gather and everything will seem gray. You have that right. But the gospel sets us free from all of this. And Paul is a tremendous example, as well as Joseph, Daniel, Jeremiah, Jacob, James, Peter, and Christ himself. As a matter of fact, melancholy and morbid introspection is countermanded in Scripture. We're told, no, we are commanded to rejoice in all things. Here in Philippians, Paul is speaking to his Philippian friends, who he loved a great deal, and he told them that they were to rejoice. Why? Look at what God is doing. Now, Paul has his detractors. Throughout history, all the letters of Paul have been torn apart, and the people that read it, the liberals and those people that are secular-minded, do not like Paul. And the scriptures have maligned since the beginning as well. Yet the word of God remains, and Paul's words, inspired by the Holy Spirit, still speak. The great apostle was facing execution for his faith. He could have simply modified his message, smoothed out his presentation, maybe smiled a bit and glad-handed the influencers, and all would have been well. But no, Paul preached Christ and him crucified to the Jewish stumbling block and to the Greek pure nonsense. From a practical point of view, his message was causing a great deal of discomfort to those in charge, and it was giving great hope and freedom to those who believed. He was getting the wrong people upset, however. He had been beaten, shipwrecked, chained, threatened, and now he's sitting in jail facing death. The world has an established routine, a practical way of doing things, and a standard code of conduct that is culturally acceptable. The Christian seen by many within the world, are rough around the edges, you see. They bring a message that is hard for men to hear. They don't understand how to deal with people. Those in positions of leadership expect you to follow the established order. Now, to avoid problems, you can change your means and your methods. You can just speak softly and with a great deference. Bears are drawn to honey, you know. But if you continue talking about sin and hell and the condition of a man... A message that runs contrary to the established norms, you'll find yourself in a socially unacceptable position. If you persist, you'll be cast out of good society. And if we continue, Paul gives us a very clear example of what can happen. Everything was going against Paul. As the men of his day saw things, Paul was being canceled. His voice was being silenced, much to their delight. Are we willing to go that far? Paul's joy and confidence radiate, though, through his writings. I cannot help but think of his constant physical and emotional challenge, yet he was confident that God's will would be done in all of this. God was directing his path in ways that he never would have imagined, in ways that he never would have chosen. Paul was speaking to the Praetorian guards, who in turn shared what they had heard with others throughout the palace. He told his friends, look, I know where I'm at. 
but I will in no way be put to shame for anything. Don't you see? It's all about Christ being exalted in me by life or death. The gospel is getting even into Caesar's palace. There's no shame being expressed and no disappointment. It seems like there would be, but there's not. The hope that God provides does not lead us to shame. A steady hope does not disappoint. The Lord tells us this, those who hope in me will not be disappointed in Isaiah 49, 23. Memorize that. And consider this. Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ because it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and then to the Greek. Consider what Paul is saying. God's power accompanies the gospel and it produces phenomenal results whenever the gospel is preached. He preached to the Jews who had centuries of religious history supporting their understanding of God. Religious training and so much tradition had been practiced for so long that it was all considered part and parcel of the truth of God. But so much was nothing more than the customs of men and traditions. They had their religion, they had their synagogues, all the nice buildings. All the scrolls were carefully maintained. They had the call of God. They had a great deal of pride and, and, and a lofty sense of their own importance before God. They had their system. And there was no room for Jesus in their approach. And if you take a minute and just think of when Christ was sent to Bethlehem and there was no room for Jesus in the end. The same was found among all the Jews. There was no room for Jesus in their approach. Preaching Jesus was a stumbling block to the Jew. Paul was teaching them that Jesus Christ was the foundation for the entire edifice of revealed religion. It was not religion that God wanted them to know, nor tradition. It was God, come in flesh. It was Christ. He is the focus of all things, the source of all joy and peace. Now there was the stumbling block to the studied Jewish mind. Why? Because Paul was telling them that while they had a form of proper knowledge, they had distorted it and conformed it to the ways of men. They were right in so many ways, but wrong overall. The Jewish mind could not divorce itself from the traditions of men, from the notion of good works bringing one closer to being acceptable before God. Grace was a stumbling block, and they couldn't get over that. They could not get past the idea that it was all of God and not of man. Your righteousness, Isaiah tells us, is nothing more than filthy rags. Your efforts are futile, apart from God. It's not a matter of you plus God. No, Jesus saves, and Jesus alone. The Greeks boasted of their wisdom. They lifted men like Homer and Plato, Aristotle, and the learned men of their day. They worshipped the mind, not the emotions. They had the group called the Stoics. They studied all the ways of men, all the wisdom that they could gather. They were pulling it from all of history, and they compiled man's knowledge and man's known wisdom and found nothing suggesting that man could truly relate to God. The gap between the gods and man could not be bridged. So the Greeks developed a government, government as we know it, democracy. From them came the idea of democracy, autocracy, and plutocracy, and Power structures were established that led to the, to the establishment of the Roman Empire. The world recognized the intelligence of the Greeks, and it was admired across the globe. Paul recommended the gospel to these men in Athens. In the gospel, Paul presented holy God in the person of Jesus Christ. This idea refuted all the other idols that the Greeks had made. 
and all the ideas that they had developed surrounding these idols. It pushed them aside, and it said, there is only one way and one God. The people in the Areopagus, they listened. And Paul was telling them that they were wise in the ways of men, but they were wrong. These men heard the same message the Jews had been given. They were right in so many ways, but wrong overall. The Greek mind could not divorce itself from the wisdom of men, from the notion of good works bringing one closer to being acceptable before the gods. Grace was a stumbling block they could not get over. All their gods were angry and harsh. The idea of a benevolent god was something foreign to them. That man was fallen and sinful, ruined by sin and total corruption. It was beyond their thinking. Man was irredeemable. God provided hope in Christ. Paul told the Greeks that their efforts were futile apart from this, from the hope that God provided. It's not you and your ability to appease these angry gods. They have nothing to say. They're just stones and statues. The God I present to you is alive. He rose from the dead. And it's Jesus Christ I'm telling you about, and he alone saves. Some mocked him. Others showed interest. But others joined him and believed. You see, the gospel accomplishes its purpose. It's not impotent and feckless. It is the power of God. It conquered the power of Rome, and it is at the name of Jesus that all men, great and small, will bow. Paul was able to see this in action. He knew the power of God. Do you? This is just as true today as it was in the day Paul stood in Athens. Men go to the jungles of Ecuador and preach the gospel to the tribes, to people who have never known anything about civilization. They hear the gospel, they believe, and they're transformed. The drunk man in the gutter of Paris hears the gospel and he believes, and he's transformed, and those around him are amazed. An astute businessman sits in the congregation of a famous church among his fellows, wearing a nice suit, polished shoes, driving a nice car. He hears the gospel presentation over and over for years, until one Sunday, he understands, and he believes. His wife believes, as do his children. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. The good news of Jesus Christ is what kept Paul while he was chained to a Roman soldier. It was the gospel of Christ that kept him motivated and confident. Christ, my friend, Jesus Christ, filled his thoughts even in the darkest hour. That is why he could rejoice. It was not the force of his will and a strict discipline. It was the joy of knowing Christ. Oh, what joy filled his soul. But wait, wasn't he facing death? Yes, he was. He was on trial for his life. Everything was on the line. The only thing uncertain to Paul was the outcome. Spiritually, he knew that whatever happened would work to his benefit. He will not be disappointed in any way. He knew Christ would be exalted in his body, whether by life or by death. Paul was not just saying that Christ would be magnified, but that Christ would be magnified in him. Now, we often think of Christ helping others, of being exalted in others, of Christ being exalted in the church among his people worldwide. But stop and think for a minute. Christ will be exalted in you. The Christ who will rule all things, at whose name every knee shall bow, is concerned with you and your well-being. The Christ who will rule all things and in whose name every knee shall bow is concerned with you and your well-being. 
His desire is for you to know Him, and I assure you that His passion far exceeds your own. Our desires as humans come and go, but Christ's love and desire for you is constant. He that began loving you will continue loving you and will carry out His love and commitment to you until the day of Christ Jesus. The love of men will always disappoint, but not with the love of God. Paul wanted to take the gospel to Spain. Paul wanted to give the gospel to them so that they might know the joy of Christ. But God wanted Paul in a Roman prison. Why? Because God was at work to build his kingdom, and he was using Paul to lay the foundation. Paul didn't know what God was doing, but he was confident that God was exalting Christ. And here we see him sitting in a prison in Rome, the epicenter of power. We may not see what God is doing right now. You may be swallowed up in self-pity and disappointment. I know the darkness that days of doubt and sorrow bring. I know that. The sorrow seems so bitter and interminable. And we can become so pitiful, even in legitimate sadness. And others may tell us that we have the right to be so broken. And I would agree. You have every right to fall to despair. And you can, if you desire to. But I would encourage you to look up and see Jesus. Paul said, and we see Jesus. He is the joy of our salvation. Consider the gospel. Consider the power of God. Look up and rejoice. Seeing Christ exalted, you will not be disappointed. Our joy, you see, is a person. It's not a place or a situation or financial comfort or good relationships. Our joy is in Christ, and it's Christ in you that is the hope of glory. No eye has seen nor ear has heard, no heart has imagined what God has prepared for you, you, the one who loves him. Thank you very much for following along in our study on Philippians, and we hope that you continue as we continue with the study here. You are well appreciated, and we hope that this has been of great benefit to you. Thank you very much.